Hello again, this is Pastor Keith Rankin from Marion Independent Baptist Church. What a grand day we had Sunday. Our church was full, but with social distancing, we could only seat about 20% of what we normally do. So having said that, uh, it'll, it'll be much better once we can seat more people. Sunday's message was entitled, Living at the End of the Book, Our Inward Responses to God. In the opening part of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, we learn that uh, we learn that since the rapture, we have learned that since the rapture can take place at any time, Christians are to live godly in their outward conduct. In this lesson, beginning with verse 16, Paul shifts his emphasis to the affections or our tender attachments our fondness, feelings of emotion of the inner man. How should we emotionally respond as we reach the end of the book, as we approach the rapture? First, Paul says, rejoice evermore. The rejoicing saint is a visible witness of the changing power of the gospel. And while all individuals rejoice when good things happen to them, Christians are to rejoice forevermore in all things that happen to them. The Greek word for rejoice means to be glad. This sort of reminds me of Christmas carols, as the minstrels herald the joyful glad news of Jesus' birth and the salvation that he brought as he became the incarnate, as he became the incarnate Son of God that died on the cross for our sins. Well, every Christian should sing Christmas carols. But better yet, they should be a carol to our king. In a cynical world, how is it possible always to be rejoicing? Let's distinguish the difference between the words happy and joyful. You see, happiness is an outward reflection of an inward emotion. In a, happiness is the outward reflection of an inward emotion. As such, it can be superficial and change as circumstances change. Joy, on the other hand, is deeper-seated. It's a contentment based on an overall knowledge that all is well with our soul. People with joy may be happy people. People with joy may be very unhappy people as they suffer from some tremendous physical pain or even have to endure a period of weeping. However, such people may have joy or the peace of God in their hearts knowing that in spite of their circumstances, they are held in the tender, loving hands of our Heavenly Father. Such joy is exclusive to the Christian, for this joy is imparted only by the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us the fruit of joy. Joy should change our eternal focus. When I was young, my family and I went on a fishing trip to the Asabo River in Michigan. A storm suddenly came up and caught us as we crossed the broad river. The rain came down, the wind blew, the waves. The boat that sat low on the surface now sat even lower as water splashed over the sides. We began to bail out the water and my grandfather steered toward the shore. As a nine-year-old, I was frightened. We were half a mile from shore in a 16-foot aluminum boat. Most of us did not know how to swim. In my alarm, 
I looked back at my grandfather who had his hand on the throttle. His steel gaze of calm determination comforted me. We would be safe. Grandpa was in charge. Well, the Christian can be joyful because Christ is in charge of our boat. No wonder Jesus tested this, tested his disciples this way. Jesus was in charge when he was in the boat, and as Peter learned, Jesus was also in charge when he was out of the boat. Rejoice evermore, then, happens when we trust God with every part of our lives. Second, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Prayer is the believer's lifeline to God. Praying by faith is how the Christian touches the heart of God. Praying without ceasing demands a constant fellowship with God. When this fellowship is broken, after we have sinned in some way, what is the first thing that we stop doing? You, you got it right. We stop praying. Let's examine ourselves as to why we do not always pray. Is there a particle of unbelief in our hearts? Has bitterness invaded our soul as an obstacle to taking our heart, uh, as an obstacle to taking away our hurt? Are we angry that God has not done what we have asked him to do or helped us in a way we felt that he should? Take these things to God, trust in him, and begin to pray again. Oh, the joy we will have when moment by moment we can once again trust God and pray entering into the very presence of a loving God who listens and knows our concerns. Third, Paul told the Thessalonians, in everything give thanks. Promotes our prayer life, so trusting in the sovereignty of God promotes thanksgiving. One of the greatest truths that we can learn from this is that there is a God and you and I are not him. Thankfulness results when we let God be God. When we trust that God has allowed the paths, the barriers, the disappointments, the challenges and failures in our life, then we can be thankful to him and be thankful for everything, not just the victories. A friend of mine wrote, God is in charge of our stops as well as our starts. Sometimes we learn that the stops or the delays are the most blessed. Paul adds, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So God desires for us to make thankfulness the action of our life. Fourth, Paul said to the Thessalonians, quench not the spirit. There are several ways in which we can quench the Spirit of God from working in our lives. I will mention just a few. First of all, we quench the Holy Spirit when we do not rely upon His power to help us. This is called working in the flesh, and it limits the supernatural working of God in us. Secondly, we thing instead of a person. As a person, the Holy Spirit has a will, and when we do not do the will of God, we quench the Spirit of God. 
We quench the Holy Spirit when we rely upon religious traditions or rituals instead of relying on a personal walk with God. And then we quench the Holy Spirit when we say no to the personal conviction that the Holy Spirit prompts of us, a prompting to follow the instruction, guidance, and commands given in the Word of God. When we say no to a biblical man, when we say no to a biblical command, we have quenched the Holy Spirit of God so that He cannot have His full work in us and through us. When the Holy Spirit, as a fire, is allowed to blaze in us, He will purge us from our dead works and make us into gleaming purity. Don't throw water on that work. The Holy Spirit is not destroying us. He is making us godly. He is consuming the dross, the things that are harming us in our walk with God. Fifth, Paul says, despise not prophesyings. The word prophesyings means a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. Such, dis such discourses may be admonitions, such as in preaching or revelations, such as in foretelling the future. Let's remember when discussing this point that the Apostle Paul of the church. This was prophesying, and it was not to be despised. One of the definitions of the word, the Greek word, means to make no account. In our context, it means to ignore as nothing the revealed prophesyings of God. In our modern age, many people whose minds have been blinded by the error of humanism, evolution, and other philosophies have written off the, uh, the validity and the truth of the Bible. Considering today's philosophies, let us not balk at Paul's admonition. When he wrote this command to despise not prophesying, Paul was, even at the time, penning scripture, as were other apostles. Prophesying were ongoing. Paul himself wrote 14 epistles throughout his ministry. John wrote four epistles, Peter wrote two, etc. These prophesying continued until AD 100 at which time the last apostle died, the apostle John. Then the prophesyings, as far as scripture are concerned, ended. Let us remember then that whenever God speaks, we're to listen. The word despise here means to treat the written word of God with contempt. It means that we are not to have an aversion to biblical preaching of the word of God. Neglecting the hearing of preaching does us specific harm. It injures our faith. We need to hear the word of God because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Let us remember that the word of God is sure because it is given by God and is settled in the heavens and that it will not return void. As the scriptures teach us in Psalms, 119.89 and Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11. Sixth, Paul says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good in verse 21. This command prove 
goes hand in hand with the previous verse regarding prophesying. We can be thankful that the church did this very thing in established the canon of in establishing the canon of the New Testament scriptures. Previously, the Jews had done the same job by acknowledging the Old Testament canon. We should pause at this point to say that these scholars did not inspire the scriptures. The church did not inspire the scriptures, but they did recognize that. But they did recognize which books were inspired and which were not. In so doing, they proved that which was excellent. As Christians, we should always be aware that the devil is a deceiver. Believers need to be in the book so that they can prove that which is good by identifying truth from error. I'm reminded of the Bereans who, after hearing Paul preach, searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And as a result, they believed. The Apostle John wrote that even in the early church, there were many, there were many antichrists. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. So let us take this so let us take this prove all things with great diligence. Seventh, Paul says, abstain from all appearance of evil, verse 22. Again, the verse does not stand alone because it is not always an easy task to identify evil. In a questionable area, Paul says abstain. Our guideline should be when in doubt, don't. If it looks like a skunk and it walks like a skunk and it smells like a skunk, you don't embrace it as if it were a harmless kitten. In applying this principle to doctrine, let's make sure that we have sought out all of the Bible, the whole counsel of God, and that we have not been simply Bible verse pickers. That is a dangerous thing to do. For example, when writing the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith pulled 30,000 verses from the King James Version and then used those in a misplaced, illegitimate way to promote his heresy. Well, those are good admonitions from Paul as we continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Next week, we will end the book. In our next study, we will be learning about the preservation of the believer. Don't miss it. And so until then, stay faithful. This is Pastor Keith Rankin from Marion Independent Baptist Church. Come visit us.